Thanks, Kimberly. Brilliant. Yeah, just give it a mark. Yeah, great. Uh, well, <clears throat> we finished that reading at an interesting place where <laughs> Jesus says, Lazarus, that's all right, you can, uh, great, thanks, guys. Lazarus, come out. How does the story end? What happened to Lazarus? Those of you who've been around a while, what happened? He came out. Okay, so that's interesting and a little weird, right? Like doesn't often happen. But it got me thinking, and Easter gets me thinking, um, how do we think about death? How do you think about death? So uh, in, in your thinking, in your experience, if you think about our culture, and if you walk down Darling Street later today, and you went to one of the, the, the cafes or the pubs, and you said to people, do you think death is a comma or a full stop in your life? Right? Is it a comma? Just a pause, or is it a full stop, like a hard stop, boom, bada boom, bada bing, bada all over? What do you think people would say? If you, if you walk down Darling Street, ask people, or in the city, comma or full stop? How many people think folk would say it's a comma? Ooh, ah, yeah. How many people do you think would say it's a full stop? That's it. You live, you die, boom, that's it. Interesting. Interesting. See, I, I, I uh, in, the, in, the, in my line of work, I've done a few funerals over the years, and, um, and I've talked to lots of people who are grieving and facing lots of challenges in life. I reckon if you ask people at a cafe, they'll say death's the end. If you ask them at the bedside of a dying loved one, they'll say, I hope it's just a comma. And when you do a funeral, as I've done, you'll hear lots of people talk very fondly, hopefully, wistfully about the idea that they might see their loved one again. Um, that's a big question, though, isn't it? Like, is it a comma or is it a full stop? And the answer we give to that question really does affect how we live in the present, doesn't it? Uh, if, if death is a full stop, if this life is all there is, well, what are the implications of that? How do, you, how do you think that might change how we live? Well, we might say that our lives are really ultimately insignificant because really who remembers, I'll ask, here's an example I often use. Can you, who can remember their mother's name, first name? Yeah, hand up. Can you remember your mum's name? How many of you can remember your grandmother's first name? How many of you can remember your great-grandmother's first name? Ooh, gosh, that drops off pretty quickly. How many of you can remember your great-great-grandmother's first name? Done. Okay, so what was the significance of her life? Without whose life you wouldn't be here but no one remembers. You don't even remember. So if death's a full stop, well, then life's pretty insignificant. I sometimes wonder, this is a slight tangent to help you think about geopolitics and the Ukrainian war at the moment and invasion. I sometimes wonder how it is that military leaders in different cultures can have such an unbelievably 
callous view of the value of their lives of their own people and soldiers. So when you look at Russian military history, uh, it does seem to me that there's something in the Russian psyche going back centuries from the Tsar onwards who regard the lives of the average peasant conscript soldier as ultimately valueless. They just don't seem to matter that much. And so, uh, you know, siege of Stalingrad and key wars in, in the Second World War, the Russians lost horrendous numbers of soldiers, of people, just extraordinary. Often by the incompetence of their own generals who Stalin had helpfully, you know, decimated the leadership ranks of their army, but it didn't matter. And now you see the casual disregard for life from the leaders because it just doesn't seem to matter. And it's horrendous. But, but what if, what if death's a comma, a comma, and, and not just is it a comma, but, but all of this that we go through here is both, is a preparation for what comes in the other clause after the comma. And what if what we do here on this side of the comma, we're going to be held accountable for on the other side of the comma? Whoa! Like at that point, how you treat your soldiers, how you value human life changes, that it changes everything, right? It, it changes because like every person you meet or I meet is somebody for whom this life is just a preparation for a life to come. And that means that there is no such thing as an ordinary person or an insignificant person. Every person is made for eternity, is made for glory, is exquisite and valuable and amazing. Like you go, wow. It has, whether you think death is a comma or a full stop, has profound implications. Now, the really good thing about our human life is pretty much most of us, most of the time, live as though death's a comma. It's built into us. It's built into us. We have to work very hard to think and live consistently with the idea that there's nothing after death. Uh, and that's a really good thing. And that makes me think, um, makes me think maybe there is such a thing as life after death. Maybe it's quite reasonable to think that death's a comma. Uh, but then, of course, the question is, is it reasonable? How can we be sure? How can we be certain? What do we know? And what do we think is on the other side of it? So that's where I find this whole Christian thing, Christianity business quite helpful. I'll tell you why. Let me ask a question. There's another question. Uh, if uh, on a scale of one to 10, where one is uh, a complete charlatan human fraud who has been unhelpful for humanity, and 10 is son of God, truth teller, perfect example of humanity to be trusted and believed in all things. Now, on that scale, where would you put Jesus? One, charlatan fraud, unhelpful. Ten, boy, the smartest bloke who's ever lived. If we all followed him, life would be brilliant and amazing. Uh, his claims are true. And, uh, and he's, he's just, yeah, he's everything he said he is. On a scale of one to 10, if you went down Darling Street today or went and sat on the harbor somewhere and asked someone, where do you reckon people would put, where do you think people in our culture would, would, would rate Jesus, would scale Jesus? One, two, you have a, 
A 10, a 10, Indy says 10. That's fantastic, Indy. You get that thumb in that mouth and keep it there, girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> such power from the front. Wow. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought her dad was a preacher? Anyway, um, well, so one, two, three, four. Where, where would people scale? Where would they rate Jesus? Six, eight, seven. Okay, well, here's the question. Where would you put him? Ten. Whoa, okay. Yelling it out. That's great. Very important question. Because Jesus, because here's the thing I've found over the years. Firstly, people think and they hope deeply in moments of stress that death is a common or a full stop. And secondly, they think Jesus was a pretty good guy. And if we all did what Jesus said we should do, life would work well. And then you join the dots and you go, ah, but wait, there's really good news because, because Jesus actually has some extraordinary things to say about death and life and himself. Look at this. Of all the things Jesus says about himself, this, I think this verse has to be one of the most profound, one of the most hopeful, and one of the most uh, often not ill-considered, unconsidered in our broader culture. And maybe you've never thought about the force of it. Jesus says, He's standing next to the grave of Lazarus. And the, back, the story is this. Jesus delayed going to see Lazarus, who was a good mate of his. He's dead. He's been in the grave four days. The, the text makes that clear to make sure that he really is dead. They all understood death. He started to decompose. He's a little smelly. And, uh, and he's there standing on the grave. And um, Martha is going, well, you know, you should have come earlier. You, you know, who can trust men these days? You just hung out. You don't really love, you didn't really like him. What were you doing, Jesus? And he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Is there any more important question that Jesus can ask us? I mean, it's, yeah, Martha's a bit skeptical. She goes, yeah, yeah. She deflects and goes, yes, I believe that you're the son of uh, Messiah, son of God. She doesn't ask the question. She doesn't answer the question, at least at this point. And I get that. I get that. That's, an, that's a big claim. No other religious leader in the world has ever claimed that, right? The Buddha didn't say, I am the resurrection of the life, resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, uh, you know, I'll connect you with the divine instantly and eternally. Muhammad certainly didn't say that. It's blasphemy in Islam. Um, the current gods of our age, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, the chairs and CEOs of our major corporations, the people who really influence us, the TikTok influencers, none of them are standing up and going, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And, and were someone to say that today, 
what would we think of them? We'd think they're rather unwell mentally, wouldn't we? That would be, you'd go, there's something a little wrong with you. Now, we know there are cult leaders and people who use religion to advance their own uh, financial and sexual and power needs. That happens. And they try to get everybody to trust them and believe them. And some of them make extraordinary claims about their own status. But when you get up close to those people and you're not in the grip of the group delusion, it's very clear to everyone that they're cult leaders, lying and manipulating and controlling and abusing people. Here's the thing about Jesus that we've got to grapple with. He made this claim and then he lived consistently with it and no one around him and no one throughout human history has ever said um, Jesus was insane for making claims like this or that he was a manipulative lying cult leader trying to use people for his own advantage so that's interesting isn't it you've got to you got to grapple with that i always think to myself and look faith is a challenge right in our world it's in many ways easier just to get on and live a good life and make money and try and do your best and and this whole believing in god thing and following jesus can be tricky but I always have found over the course of my life that Jesus doesn't leave me with the option of just treating him as a good guy, as a great moral teacher, as the guide we all need in life. He makes this claim, and if it's true, it changes everything about how I see him and how I see myself. Because if it's true, if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and even if we die, yet we'll live, that means Death is a comma. It's not a full stop. And I, I can know exactly how to make sure it is a comma for me and that I live forever and I can have assurance of that and it can change how I live and how I see people if it's true. Uh, and of course, it may not be true. It's okay, you know, it's, it's logically possible. It's historically possible, it's psychologically possible that this claim of Jesus isn't true. So it, it's, and because of its import for us, it's, it's really important that we think about it and we consider it. We don't just jump into it and believe it because someone else, because we're trying to keep someone else happy or because we think it'll make us feel better in the short term. And both those, neither of those things are that bad, by the way. If you're here this morning to keep someone close to you happy, because they invited you and you, you, you said yes. That's a really good thing. Um, but it's not enough to jump on board with Jesus if you, if you don't think it's actually true. You've got to grapple with that, and that's okay. And through 2,000 years, we have grappled with that. The best minds in our culture and our history have grappled with this. And time after time, people have come to the point where they go, no, it, it is true, and he was who he said he was. And this claim does change our lives. And, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. Like Christianity is not a blind leap of faith. See, even in this story, Jesus made this claim. And the next thing he did was he validated it by actually raising Lazarus from the dead. Like, huh. I wondered about that. I mean, Easter Sunday, you might be expecting me to talk about Jesus' resurrection. 
and, and I will, and we'll talk more about that next Sunday. Uh, but immediately he made the claim and then he proved it. He lived it out. He, and, and look, if he'd been making it up, when this letter was written, when John's letter was written, this, this historic account was given, there were lots of people around. Like Mary and Martha were still alive. There were lots of people who could, no, he didn't really raise Jesus from the, uh, Lazarus from the dead. That didn't really happen. He's exaggerating. Uh, but the, this was regarded in its day as a historically accurate claim that went uncontested and went on to change the world. And it's the same with Jesus' own resurrection. So it's not just that he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was then killed, and we know he was very, very dead. It's really no grades of dead, but it's important to say, you know, he was tortured with a kind of torture that would often kill people. He was put on a cross by professional executioners, and uh, they... They, they didn't break his legs. Breaking the legs of someone on the cross was a, a way to speed up their death. Uh, they didn't do that because the professional executioners stuck a spear in his side and, and went, yeah, no, he's really dead. So they pulled him down. They put him in a tomb, really dead. Why is that important? Because some people get around the resurrection. My brother did this. My brother was a Muslim. A common, a common theme in Islam uh, since the time of the prophet is to is to argue, to get around these claims of Jesus to be God himself who died and rose again um, by saying, well, he just, he just passed out on the cross. He swooned. He fainted. He was overcome. He went unconscious. But when he was put in the nice cool tomb, that woke him up. And he woke up and he shook off the 40 pounds of, um, of uh, grave clothes that had wrapped him up. And then he rolled aside, uh, you know, three or 400 kilogram a rock up a hill, and then he overcame uh, a trained Roman guard who, whose lives were on the line if, he were to, if his body were to be stolen or he were to escape. And so they go, well, he swooned, and then he woke up, and then he did all of those things. And, uh, and then he went and disappeared, <laughs> and no one ever heard from him again. So that's the alternate, one alternate way of explaining the, the empty tomb, the missing body. And you say, no, he didn't really rise from the dead. And people have been trying to come up with these theories to explain it away for 2,000 years. And uh, a couple of billion intellectually honest and spiritually hungry people over 2 billion years, as they've looked at the evidence and the claims, have come to the point where sometimes reluctantly, sometimes going, I don't want to believe this, but I just have to. So, for example, a philosopher and author like C.S. Lewis, who described himself after studying the claims of Jesus as the most reluctant convert to Christianity in all of Christendom, moved there by the force of the logic. Uh, and sometimes you just run to it with your arms open. That was my experience as a 15-year-old, going, this is the best news I've ever heard. And it changed my life and continues to. But that's where we end up. You go, if this is true, it changes us. And there's evidence for it. And then Jesus went on to appear to more than 500 people. He validated his claims to be the resurrection and the life by dying and rising again. And then he says to you and to me, if you believe in me, though you die, yet you'll live. And that's the best news in the world, isn't it? I, I, I look at this world and gosh, there's so much that is awful in this world. 
genuinely horrible. And I don't have to go through the litany of them. You will get them. Watch the news any day. You'll know how much awfulness there is. But there's so much that's wonderful and glorious and magnificent and beautiful. Just, just the beauty of the world. Yesterday, we, were, we spent the day out at Cockatoo Island looking at our creaking industrial heritage when we still build things here. And it's all rusting and falling apart. And after a couple of hours, I'd reached peak decrepit shipyard levels. And, but coming back on the ferry, the full moon was rising over. We came back, this full moon is rising over the bridge. And you come in and you just go, this is such a stupendously beautiful world that we live in. And then you get a glimpse of it with, with community, with love, with people, don't you? There, there are times, there are times when you are with people, when, may I speak for myself, there are times when I'm with people where the joy and the beauty of our humanity is so much, it's almost too much. Like it's actually a physically, wow, this, like people are just, like how good is it? Love. Friendship, being together, it can, you can get these glimpses, can't you, where you go, oh, this is just magnificent, magnificent. And then sometimes you think about the wonder of what we've been able to achieve as human beings, science. So the friends who we were wandering around Cockatoo Island with, uh, this a friend of mine is a, one of the leading experimental particle physicists in the world. I don't understand most of what he says. But it's extraordinary what we know about the world. I listen to him talk, and this, this massive, these massive collaborations he's been working on for the last 30 years in CERN and in Bell with these international scientists working across languages, working across cultures, and actually understanding the basic building blocks of reality. String theory, have you ever heard of that? Anyone, I, I've tried to understand that. It, I cannot understand it. It's gobbledygook and you go, yep, okay. But people get it and they get it because they work together and humans are brilliant. And you are brilliant. Your body is an extraordinary complex adaptive system that we think we know how it works, but we really don't know much at all. Isn't that amazing? Here's another thing that's extraordinary about us. And no, let me not say us. Let me say women. Women have made all the people who live in the world today. We create life out of nothing. And then women grow these people and bring them into the world. There's nothing more extraordinary than that to create life. Wow. Okay. So what's all that got to say? Well, if this is true, and the resurrection is true, then it means all that wonder and that glory will not be ended by death. All that's beautiful and just and exquisite and joyful in the world, in this world, is just a taste of what is to come, and death doesn't end it. Isn't that amazing? So, so like in our lives now, that means... Science is worth it. Love is worth it. Relationships are worth it. 
pursuing justice is worth it. Beauty, making art, these beautiful paintings we've got on the wall, it's worth it. Making music is worth it because all these things are just a glimpse and a taste of the glory that is to come because death is a comma, not a full stop, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That's the question. Now, uh, that's a lot to believe. <laughs> and maybe, and maybe you, you're like Thomas. We'll look at this next week where he goes, I believe, help my unbelief. I, who's not like that? There's a, there's, a, there's a fair part of me that's a Jewish cynic, right? From a Jewish, like there's a bit of me that's like, eh. so I regularly, I believe. Help my unbelief. So what we want to do to help you with that, uh, we want to invite you and your friends to dinner. On the 15th of May here, we're going to run a big dinner. Oh, could be a really small dinner, but um, it's going to be dinner. and We're going to have great wine and great food. And it's for anyone who wants to come and consider seriously the, the teachings of Jesus. And it'll be introducing uh, the Alpha course, which is a course to help people journey through the experience in the teachings of Jesus to think about the questions of life. And uh, so the deal is this, uh, scan the QR code if you're interested. Uh, let me know you're interested to come. No obligations, turn up, show up. And, uh, and, uh, and then come to dinner and check it out. So that's coming up. And uh, I'd encourage you to think about that if you want. It's free and bring a friend. Bring five friends, bring some people you think could help with this. And then if you, if you think Alpha is not for you, but you want to discover a little more of the practical implications of this for your life, uh, coming up in term to, coming up to also starting in mid-May, we're running this uh, spiritual pilgrimage, uh, a course to discover the unique way God has wired us up. Um, I'll tell you now, there are, there are nine spiritual styles, nine different ways God, at least, that God has wired us up to connect with him. And our spiritual growth is, uh, and our, our joy in God is really dependent on understanding how God has wired us up and growing in that. Um, and uh, so there's that. Again, scan the QR code. Let us know you're coming. Uh, we're going to do that as a whole church in small groups, individually. There's a, there's a whole process that we go through, and I'm really looking forward to that. So there are two things to think about as we wrap up. Um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, I think our band's going to come and sing, and we're going to worship the Lord together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you uh, lived and died and rose again. Thank you that uh, that you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you that uh, you stood out next to Lazarus's grave, and you called him out, and he came out. And thank you that. 2,000 years ago, death and evil and suffering and Satan could not keep you down, but you rose again to change our lives and turn our own deaths into just a comma, just a, just a blip, just a seamless transition into an eternity of glory and joy. Thank you, Lord, so much. Help us to believe that wherever we are. Help us to believe that uh, this morning. Amen.